This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Right now that time, 817, you're tuned to WGNS on this Monday morning, today the 15th of November. And in studio with us this morning, we do have guests throughout the morning from MTSU. And on the first segment, we have Dr. Kimball Bullington with us. How are you this morning? Doing fine, Scott. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your background and, uh, you know, what you focus on at MTSU. Okay, I've been at MTSU for uh, 24 years, and before that I was in manufacturing and and, um, operations and supply chain management, and I teach supply chain management. So what made you want to get out of the actual business side of it and get into the educational side of it? Well, I've always been a teacher, and and, um, and in fact, even in industry, they called me professor, so uh, it was sort of natural for me, I think. But I'm off the road. Uh, Supply chain management at the level that I was at, it was uh, taking me away from home a lot. So Now, in the world of supply and demand, if you would, there's been a lot of changes over the past couple of years with COVID-19. How does that play into what's being taught on the campus? Okay, so uh, at one time, actually pre-COVID, when we w- came into the classroom and would ask, what is supply chain management? We would get a lot of blank stares. I don't get very many blank stares now. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone's had experience with uh, empty shelves, uh, with toilet paper shortages, and and uh, rising prices due to supply uh, supply chain management, maybe even um, or broken supply chains. So um, it's a it's a lot easier to get people connected now than it was. Yeah, I bet because man, the start of COVID, there were empty shelves everywhere, not just in grocery stores but literally in just about every segment of, of business. I, I mean, there was a lot of issue. So how do you go about, I guess, making students further understand, well, this is what's needed in our country. And how do you go about, I guess, educating them on how to, once they get into business, get, I guess, fulfill demands that are needed? And one way that we do it is, is actually look at local businesses, um, you know, actual businesses. And, and see the jobs that they're um, that they have open, and so we take a job description from Indeed.com or some other source like that, and actually look at the requirements that they're asking, and we can relate every one of their requirements to the to the topics that we're teaching. You know, it's interesting. Pre-COVID, you had companies like Amazon, UPS, FedEx saying, "Well, we're going to start a new delivery process. We're going to use drones. We're going to use individuals in their personal vehicles," and you know that's something you expected to see you know, five years from now, but then all of a sudden they had to put into effect new ways of delivering things. uh, And there were changes. Now you see, you know, even big companies like UPS, there's drivers out there using their personal vehicles to make deliveries. Right. It's, it's really changed. Uh, When um, Amazon now, I I think it's called, or Amazon prime prime uh, came to um, uh, Murfreesboro. Uh, I, I tried that out. I said, you know, it was a two-hour delivery, wow. and and I thought, can this really work? And and someone showed up in a pickup truck uh, in my front uh, drive there, and and uh, yeah, it's 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 really changed. And and some of the technology is changing. Some of that that sort of space age, way in the future technology is here. Last week, uh, Walmart announced that they were using uh, driverless trucks up in the Bentonville area on actual deliveries. That's wild. I, I mean, it's those are things you 
would never expect or dream of, you know, just a couple of years ago. Yes, that's right. It's the kind of thing where you hear people like companies talk about the idea of driverless vehicles and you see it in, in movies even, but you don't expect to see it locally. Right. With 80,000, American Trucking Association says we're 80,000 truck drivers short. And so that sort of, um, that, that's the impetus behind driverless trucks to a great extent. You know, with COVID, with those who filed unemployment during COVID-19 throughout the pandemic, it has been hard to get people back to work, it seems like, because tons of companies are hiring but yet a lot of them are saying, you know, we can't fill our positions that we need to fill. People are unemployed and they're remaining on unemployment for whatever duration they can. That's true. And everywhere you go, it's it's pretty much the same story. And then you, you're seeing a, an increase in wages uh, for starting uh, starting wages. I've, I've, I've read that uh, Amazon recently was starting at $18 an hour or maybe even a little bit more than that. And so that's that's causing uh, everybody to compete with that, and uh, with the with the shortage of labor, uh, you're finding a, a real high turnover as well. So it's it's a it's a serious issue. Again, with us in studio, Dr. Kimball Bullington from MTSU, management professor in the Jones College of Business at MTSU, and I guess kind of fill us in on what the degree and i guess the degree is called what supply chain management right we have a we have a bachelor's in management with a um a major now in a bachelor's in supply chain management so it's a it's a major it used to be a concentration so it was within uh, a management major but now it's a separate major and and that allows us to compete with with other universities who are who have majors and 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 says we're really serious about it and and um it, it's it's addressing a need that's out there. Uh, COVID just made that a little bit um, more clear. But after COVID is gone, and we certainly all hope that it will be, um, there's still there's still a need for supply chain management. Everything you buy, make, uh, uh, wear, eat, uh, work with, or play with comes through a supply chain in some way or another. So when you talk about supply chains and, and big corporations out there, I mean, would this degree cover everything from working at a logistics company where that company is involved in the transportation of goods, and that's all they focus on, to working within a company that's manufacturing item XYZ? Yes, or distribution. So uh, a company like Amazon or Dollar General or Tractor Supply, uh, they don't make products. They just distribute products that other people make. But yes, all of those. If, you, if you're a manufacturer like Nissan, then you probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 suppliers that you buy from of all different varieties, uh, you know, all different types of commodities and services. And supply chain management uh, helps us solve problems and manage that wide diversity of, of products and services. And, you know, some of the problems we saw throughout the pandemic is that auto manufacturers would have the vehicle completely made, except for it was missing maybe a microchip that needed to be in there in order to have the navigational map work, the radio work, the electronics all work together. And so these vehicles would just sit on the wayside waiting for those little pieces that needed to finish the job is that still a big issue it, it is and um, uh, the forecasts uh, vary on when that's going to be over uh, most of the automobile manufacturers seem to be saying first quarter maybe second quarter of 2022 
the uh, some of the large chip makers like uh, Intel, uh, the CEO of Intel says it's going to be into 2023 before it's over with. So um, I don't really. It's hard to tell, but it's 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 here for a while. Yes, Middle Tennessee is an interesting location when it comes to logistics. When it comes to distributing goods across the U.S., especially the southern U.S., and because of that location, we are seeing a lot more companies come here and make Tennessee their home because we are easily accessible to, I don't know how much of the population, but a big portion of it. Yeah, 60, I believe it's 60% of the population is within a uh, one day's drive from Murfreesboro. And um, if you just look on a map of the United States, we're one of the few uh, cities where we have a, a north, south, east, west, northwest, southeast interstate coming through. Um, uh, Indianapolis is similar, though their interstate doesn't, uh, it only goes uh, northeast in one direction. Um, so it, it is a distribution hub, and uh, especially in trucking. Yeah, and, and you know, with 840, which was, you know, not too long ago, 840 opened here in Rutherford County. I don't, I want to say like 15, 20 years ago, the first leg of it opened, and then we saw the, uh, the Franklin side of 840 open just a few years back. So that had to have helped out even more. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and you're just seeing it's been since that time that that really we've seen the distribution centers just sort of blow up here, uh, with um, you know down to Joby Jackson and, and other places. Now, for someone who is working in the supply chain out there in corporate America, it looks like that is one of those positions that you have the make it or break it power for a big company. In other words, if you make it big and and make that company flow together like it should then you're on the ladder to be the ceo or or who knows what that's right you get exposure to a wide variety of of uh, skill sets and and so it is a path to the top that's absolutely correct what are those out there who are in in the field what are they telling you when you talk to big companies what are they saying to you about how everything is looking as far as logistics and, and supplying demand? Well, I mean, the, the um, they're seeing growth. They're seeing growth. Uh, there, there should be some movement towards, um, you know, resourcing some of the the uh, manufacturing that's gone offshore. I don't, I don't think that's going to be really quick or really big. There's been some talk about. You know, building our own chip industry, and and um, we're the third uh, largest manufacturer of semiconductors, but we're a distant third to um, Taiwan and and South Korea. Uh, so there's going to be some focus on that, but it, that that will take time. But meanwhile, there's just the need to get people trained and get people ready uh, to start in that profession. So when a new student comes into MTSU and they say, "Look, I want to." try out the new supply chain management degree. That's what I want to do. That's the field I want to go in. What are they looking like when they graduate? What kind of income right after that senior year? Okay, so it, it varies. But um, numbers I'm going, I'm seeing are somewhere in the um, uh, 55,000 plus or minus five. So uh, uh, starting off. Now we've actually seen considerably more than that and we've seen a little bit less than that. But somewhere in the in the 50s is is pretty common that, that sounds like a great start you know to a, a full career because you know you look at a newly graduated lawyer for example some of them are struggling barely making 35 to 40 thousand even though they have the title of lawyer because of the fact that 
they have to get established first. So, so this sounds really promising. It is promising, and the demand is high. And so we think the, the, um, the wages are going to be strong. Uh, opportunities are going to be there. Uh, also, supply chain management has so many different areas that um, if, you, if you find yourself not really enjoying one area, you can move to another one horizontally. Is there a need to continue your education, get your master's degree, if you graduate with that new degree in supply chain management? Okay, so you can get a job right out of, right out of school. Yeah, there's, there are a lot of degrees that are not like that. Uh, so you can get a job right out of school. But uh, some people do find that, that getting a master's is um, advantageous to sort of differentiate them from other, other workers and build skills a little bit more. We have a um, master's uh, uh, concentration in supply chain management in, in the, a master of science program. And we're hoping that within a year, uh, we'll have a major in, in um, supply chain management at the master's level. Now, I know we talked about how Middle Tennessee, Rutherford County specifically, is in a location geographically where there are a lot of distributors. There's a lot of logistics companies. I mean, there are a lot of opportunities right here but are these companies because we said they're hiring but are they hiring for these types of positions in addition to whatever else they're hiring for right so so we we quite often think about distribution we think about um you know people driving fork trucks and 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 moving uh, products around uh physically and and that is that is absolutely in demand but there's a need for people to, to um, analyze inventory. Uh, companies sort of live and die on how much inventory they have, uh, both from a cost standpoint and a service standpoint. And so there's a lot of um, uh, supply chain analysts, material analysts, inventory analysts. We have planners. Uh, if you're talking about transportation, then we have people who are uh, load planning as well as coordinating um, loads or brokering uh, uh, transportation. So. Uh, yes, there's a lot of, lot of need for people at this level. Dr. Kimball Bullington with us this morning from MTSU, the Jones College of Business at MTSU. And again, talking about supply chain management and the degree of supply chain management. It seems like if this was your line of work, you would have a promising future and job security as well, assuming you do a good job at it. Oh, I think so. And the supply chain's not going away. We're still going to eat. We're still going to uh, wear clothes. We're still going to uh, have the equipment that we need to do our job. Uh, and there are supply chains for every one of those. Um, as we're a global economy, it's hard, sort of hard to imagine that we're not going to be. So it's not only supply chain management, but it's global supply chain management. Now, speaking of us being a global economy and, and you know things being sold all around the world, you, you, I know you probably have heard about this. Recently heard a news story on the air about how uh, an airplane manufacturer came out with a new plane that's going to make it to, I think, France in it's like an hour and a half or something crazy like that. But when you hear news stories about things like that, do you think, well, how can we put this into supply and demand? How can we put this into the distribution hub of corporate America? How can we figure out how to use that to get products overseas. Yeah, anytime we have a new technology, then we, we, we're looking at that. You know, Uber was uh, new to all of us, and, and now there's Uber Freight. And, and so uh, we're, anytime you have a new transportation system, we're looking at that. And, and um, you know, in a case like uh, this new aircraft, um, 
you would probably be talking about you know delivering documents or something that's that's you know emergency last minute uh, need and you're willing to pay for a lot of a lot of freight but uh, yes we absolutely look at, we have our eyes open and looking for this we have a course in uh, uh, management of of innovation um, because that's key to supply chain management is there still room for I guess opportunity of brand new distribution companies or new shipping companies is there still room in america for another ups another fedex well you know there uh, because of the technology that's changing you would think there there is uh, I, I think we could have asked the same question not long ago about uh is there room for another car company and now uh, uh tesla is 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 the i think it's the highest valued company in the world um and and now Rivian just uh, announced a public offering, which is an electric uh, uh, pickup truck. That's, they only have one product, and they are uh, larger than Ford or General Motors in terms of uh, stock market valuation. So I, absolutely, I think there's there's going to be uh, opportunities for new uh, distribution and supply chain. You know, I've always heard the most successful restaurants are the ones that only have two or three items on their menu, and that kind of translates over into, you know this line of work as well you know you have those companies where all they do is focus on getting the product to the customer that's all they do yes yes we have a a local company here uh, store opening solutions in um down where samsonite used to be and uh, their job is to open stores for companies because companies you know like PetSmart and other companies like that uh their business is is uh pets it's not opening stores so. Yeah, that's true. Very true. And I guess they come in, they do all the new hires, they train. Uh, so, yeah, makes sense. Well, again, Dr. Kimball Bullington with us this morning. Thank you for joining us. And as we close out, how can folks learn more about this degree in supply chain management? Well, it, just um, um, go to uh, MTSU and, and fill in supply chain management and you'll, you'll get there. Or you could contact me. Uh, Kimball Bullington uh, at MTSU and and uh, I'm Kimball B at mtsu.edu and I'd be glad to give you information too. Sounds great. Well, again, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Scott. Time right now, 835. We have more news, more information coming up on this Monday morning, today, the 15th of November. A check on the forecast is next. Skies become mostly sunny this afternoon, high in the upper 50s. Southwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear, low near 42. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 31. In this season of giving, don't forget to give to your pet. Here at Animal City, we would love to help you with your pet needs. Your small animals might prefer a larger living space, your reptiles might like some new decor, and your other pets might like some new toys to keep them entertained. Right now, all of our Animal City departments are overflowing with new and exciting toys. Dog toys, bird toys, cat toys, we have them all. This is Amanda from Animal City. Come do business with Animal City at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas' Family Restaurants. Do you know somebody who's moved far away and is missing eating at Demas's? Well, Demas' Family Restaurants now offers many of our sauces and some of our food, such as pot roast and soup, to be shipped all across the nation. It's very simple. You just go to demasfamilykitchen.com and you can send an order to anybody as a gift all across this nation. You can send an order to anybody 
go to demasfamilykitchen.com. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. I'm meteorologist Ray Miller from News Radio WGNS with a reminder that you can download the Weatherology app on your phone for the forecast at your fingertips. We can even send weather bulletins directly to your phone. Download the Weatherology app today. It's free in the App Store. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. We're talking with retired U.S. Army Master Sergeant Patrick Garland. I spent 17 years in the military police corps. I wound up in forensic sciences. He's learned from the who's who in forensic science. I worked with Dr. Pierre Fink, and he was one of the pathologists who assisted in the autopsy of President Kennedy. I worked with the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. I studied gunshot wounds, and I was asked to examine the ball that was removed from President Lincoln's head and identify it as being the proper one. I had to go to Ford Theater and look through all the medical reports. Another case was much closer to home. A grave had been tampered with in Franklin, and part of her body was found, and it was sent to Dr. Bass in Knoxville. His assumption at the beginning of the investigation was that this was a fresh body, and it turned out he was killed in the Battle of Franklin back in the Civil War. And he had been embalmed with arsenic at the time, and that was a good preservative. Dr. Bass said that he made a mistake by about 100 years on it. A different veteran story from retired U.S. Army Master Sergeant Patrick Garland. If you know a veteran you'd like to highlight, let WGNS know, and we'll honor them in our daily salute to veterans. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One Middle Tennessee.com. Locally and veteran owned. Good morning. It's heavy, but it's still moving 24 up through the Hickory Hollow area. All that traffic flow trying to get it past Bell Road, Hickory Hollow Parkway. Still looks good as far as interstate accidents. Tons of radar out here this morning up and down. Certain sections of 840. Gatlinburg Wine Cellar is home of the world-famous cotton candy wine. They have other flavors at GatlinburgWineCellar.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Right now the time, 8.39. You're tuned to WGNS on this Monday morning, today, the 15th of November. And we are continuing our talks with MTSU. And on this segment, we have Dan Pfeiffer and also Denise Shackelford. So I guess kind of tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you do. We'll start with uh, Dan this morning. So tell us about your background. Well, good morning. Um, I'm a, an alumni of MTSU. I have a music degree from here. And I, I went on to work in the recording industry for quite a long time. You know, we were talking about University of Memphis a few minutes ago. I got my uh, master's degree from there, made a bunch of records. And then in 91, when the Bragg Building and the College of MassCom became the College of MassCom happened, uh, I was hired at MTSU to come teach in the recording industry department. All right. And Dr. Denise Shackelford also with us. Tell us about your background. Hey, Scott. Um, I am a uh, 
Nashvilleian transferred to Murfreesboro as of COVID. Ah, okay. <laughs> so uh, I worked for about 25 years in the Nashville music industry at record labels and in artist management um, and had this opportunity to make the switch to academia in the fall of 2019 and uh, have, am delighted I did. <laughs> you know what's so interesting, both of your backgrounds, you had the opportunity to see the the change in the music industry and it has been a massive change and is still changing. Absolutely. Um, I, I have a, a law degree and that was the impetus of going back to law school as an adult was seeing the changes in the industry uh, in those early 2000s, the Napster, Grokster, the change to digital streaming. It has been interesting to say the least, especially Nashville, which is, you know, always been country and and now we're starting to see some some more rock put into that country so it has been a very interesting change now at mtsu what's happening there with music and those who want a career in music well we have um two options really for people looking towards a degree in music you have the traditional degree in music from the school of music more of a conservatory type of thing, music education, music performance, those types of things. And then uh, we're over in the College of Media and Entertainment, we're the Department of Recording Industry. So we're more the commercial side of things. So we, we do three things, uh, basically. We have music business, we have commercial songwriting, we have audio production in our program. Plus we have a master's, uh, both in a Master of Fine Arts in audio production, plus a cognate in the MBA program also for music business. So at MTSU, there's going to be a, a ribbon cutting and a, I guess a grand opening for listening night at the new Department of Recording Industries East Main Street Studios. Tell us more about that. Well, it's it's been a very interesting project. It's uh, been going on for about three years, and it's about a year and a half longer than planned because uh, we, we, we started to go into a building that wasn't going to work for us. Uh, but uh, we had two recording studios in Ezel Hall. Uh, some people from Murfreesboro and MTSU might remember Ezel Hall uh, as a dormitory for a long time. And uh, when it ceased to be a dormitory, we got some space in there as a department. So we built two recording studios and a bunch of offices, and our songwriting program went in there as well. Well, Ezel Hall was scheduled to come down when they built the new uh, concrete and construction industry management building. So uh, we got relocated. So we had to find some space, found some space, built, uh, started doing the plans to build it and found out that the building just wouldn't work for us. So we had to stop and start all over and uh, we're in where parking services used to be and uh, we, we offered classes for the first time this fall. So we're very excited about it. So these new studios they're top notch i mean they're unlike i guess a lot of other studios that have been around for years and years in other words the latest technology is within the walls of these studios yeah, we try to keep it uh, what we call state of the industry. Uh, state of the art is kind of a specious idea because it's a moving target all the time. <laughs> but we try to uh, create a realistic situation for our students to where they're going to go into our studios and find the same type of situations that they're going to find in the profession so they can make that transition a lot easier. So we try to you know, program everything along those lines. This is what you're going to see out there. We try to use equipment that they're going to find in the industry. We teach them methods that they're going to use in the industry and just try to get them ready for that uh, professional gear. Uh, hey, and in the world of recording, I guess you still have some studios in the Middle Tennessee area using 
analog recording boards. They're using analog equipment, but yet it's going into a digital computer. So there is still a lot to be, I guess, changed over for some studios. And then you have those who say, well, analog just sounds better. <laughs> That's true. And you're talking about the arc of the music industry and our careers. I, I certainly saw that change from analog to digital. Um, you know, I can raise a razor uh, ed, uh, doing an edit with a razor blade just like anybody else could back in the day but that's a skill that we don't do a whole lot anymore um analog is still a sound it can't be replicated very well with uh digital quite yet it's getting closer all the time but it's kind of an, an antiquated idea uh you have to really want to do it and for things like drums and rock and roll it works really well uh but it's a it's a difficult proposition uh especially these days tape is hard to come by uh machines uh, hard to maintain these days so so in the recording industry what is being taught on the university level to incoming students who are going into recording well, on the audio side, we try to be all things pro audio. So it's not just recording anymore. It's it's live sound. It's sound for picture. It's broadcast audio. Uh, recently, uh, besides the new recording studios, we have the Chris Young Cafe on campus, which is a venue that serves all aspects of our program. Uh, it's our live sound laboratory and classroom, but it's also a venue that we operate. So. Uh, our student songwriters have a place to come and showcase. Our music uh, business students have a place to do menu, venue operations and management. So uh, it's part of our evolution of a program to be more inclusive in audio and in the music industry. When you have talent like Chris Young that graduate from MTSU or go to high school in Rutherford County, then they go through MTSU's programs. What does that do for the university down the road? I think it just it excites the student body and what brings people to the university. Um, but and Chris isn't alone. We, Hillary Scott, who is the singer, you know, lead singer, one of the lead singers in Lady A, uh, Tay Keith, who was just a guest at the uh, sneak peek of the recording studio grand opening. So there are multi genres, um, just people in all facets of the industry, the recording, the production, the behind the scenes, obviously. We have a lot of um, alum that are successful songwriters and producers in Nashville as well. And then when you look back over music history in the Nashville area, you have folks like Alan Jackson on Mercury Records and some of those who graduated from old MTSU's recording industry were playing a role in his progression as well. So it's wild to look back and, and kind of I guess, look over the history that comes out of MTSU. It's funny you mention Alan Jackson. I um, cut my teeth at Arista Records in the 90s, and that was their, that was the label for Arista, I mean, for Alan at the time. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah, it, it is interesting, though. And when you have a brand-new student who comes to MTSU and they say, you know, this is the direction I want to go, do they have any idea of all the avenues within that one direction? Probably not, honestly. And that's, I think, one of the things that's important for us as professors to convey is I think when you're on the outside looking in at the music industry or recording industry, you you see limited views. And so I think being able to say there are so many opportunities way beyond singing or playing music or working at a record label, there are a multitude of creative opportunities and business opportunities. And you almost have to have a degree in IT, it seems like these days, because everything heads towards computers in some way. 
It does. Um, it, it is pretty interesting, it, even on the business side, certainly on the, the recording side. But on the business side of it, um, it, you're no longer talking about selling records. You're talking about access to music via streaming. Um, so, yeah, so com- <laughs> understanding computers, understanding algorithms, understanding analytics is all a part of working in the music business, not to mention, like I say, the audio part. Yeah, a lot of avenues. Again, with us this morning, Dr. Denise Shackelford and Dan Pfeiffer with MTSU. And once more, coming up December 3rd, that's going to be the grand opening of Listening Night. And uh, what exactly is, what does that title mean, Listening Night? Well, um, we're actually combining two events, the ribbon cutting for the new studios, which was actually scheduled to happen in September, but because of supply chain issues, uh, like you were all talking about earlier, (laughs) um, you know, we we got delayed a little bit. So we decided to um, have it at the end of the semester. And a tradition in the Department of Recording Industry since the inception of the audio program has been listening night which is a showcase of the very best recordings out of each class. So uh, it's a big deal for a student to get their recording selected for, for listening night. So we decided we would combine the two events because uh, we bring all of our students together. It's a celebration at the end of the semester, and we thought, what a better way to do this. Yeah. So uh, that's what that's about. And uh, listening night's a long-term event. Uh, we, we had our 40th anniversary of listening nights uh, two years ago before COVID happened. So as we close this morning, how can folks learn more about this? And is that December 3rd event open to the public? Uh, the, the, the event is open to the public. It's at 6 o'clock at the uh, 1403 East Main Street. Um, we'll have a ribbon cutting at 6 o'clock, and then a listening night will follow. And we're also going to do a stream of listening nights, so it'll go out uh, virtually as well. And you can come to our uh, recording industry website and find information about that. Sounds good. Again, Dan Pfeiffer and Dr. Denise Shackelford with us this morning from MTSU. And by the way, speaking of all the audio, we'll post the podcast of this show on our website later on this morning as well for folks to go back and listen to. But thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Time right now, 8.50. We have more coming your way in just a second. Again, the time, 8.50. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk. If you're not waking up to the Wake Up Crew, here's what you've been missing. You're not afraid to be fired. (laughs) Don't miss the Wake Up Crew with John, Brian, and Dalton. Boy, will it hurt my pocketbook if I am. Weekday mornings from 6 until Swap and Shop. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County but will always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. I can a radio that's kind of possessed. It's coast to coast AM overnight every night. You have a possessed radio? Yeah. WGNS, Murfreesboro. A heart for healing. When life challenges become a torrential flood, there are local doctors, nurses, and medical technicians who help you maneuver the swift waters. Gordon Ferguson, 
president and CEO of St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. A mother nominated local pediatrician, Dr. Wanda Cade, to be the November Heart for Healing recipient. She said, I really appreciate Dr. Cade's caring and understanding attitude. Being a parent during this pandemic is often challenging. She listens and is very encouraging. Plus, she's great with kids, very patient, but firm when needed. Most importantly, she is a phenomenal pediatrician whom I trust implicitly. Dr. Wanda Cade is our Heart for Healing recipient and will enjoy dinner for two at the fabulous Alley on Main Street restaurant. Submit your Heart for Healing nomination to WGNS. In our last segment of the Action Line here this morning, we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Mary Evans, a research professor of history and coordinator of the American Democracy Project over at MTSU on campus. And Dr. Evans, uh, how are you today? Good morning to you, Brian, and everybody out there in MTSU and Murfreesboro land. Well, uh, glad to have you here this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about the American Democracy Project. And I I would assume you've been very busy since... Uh, coming out of the 2020 election, I'm sure we have a lot of brand new voters. Well, every uh, every year at MTSU, of course, we're just fortunately in the position of being um, placed in the chronology of a young citizen's life. When he or she comes to college, it's usually at around age 18, and very typically our entering freshmen at MTSU have never voted before. So it's... Uh, part of our duty and I I might say sacred honor (laughs) and obligation to assist them to step up to their roles as citizens in the United States of America and as citizens of Tennessee and as citizens of Rutherford County. So um, do we see, um, I guess, as political events go, do we see an increase in, in the interest in the number of students maybe voting for the first time? I mean, what, what drives that? Well, to be very clear, um, youth voting, of course, if you were to graph it, is always at the bottom of the scale. Older folks such as myself, we, we're predictable voters. We've been voting for years. And um, political scientists and folks who, have, who study this sort of material will tell you that the sooner a human being, the uh, sooner a citizen takes on the role and mantle of voting, the more likely he or she is to commit to doing it for the remainder of their lives. So thus, um, we get students who have never voted before, and obviously it's been their mom and daddy's jobs. They've not really seen um, that it is relevant to them or important to them, and it's part of what we do as educators is to make it very, very clear that um, voting is not only a right, but it is a, a civic responsibility as being a member of this nation. So... Unless a university, for instance, takes on a cultural attitude of this is our job to assist students to vote, often those early would-be first voters just fall um, between the cracks. And that has been the case across the country, and it's been certainly true in Tennessee. But over the past number of years, we have been working exceedingly proactively to assist our students in being able to vote, and we have seen those numbers go up every year. 
Uh, we have joining us today from MTSU, Dr. Mary Evans, a research professor of history and uh, coordinator of the American Democracy Project. And you also are involved in uh, Tennessee 101, Tennessee Women in the Progressive Era. Tell me a bit about that. Well, thank you for asking. Um, I am in the history department at MTSU, and I study the era in which women began to vote. So, of course, obviously, in the year 2020, we were happy to be able to celebrate that centennial year of the 19th Amendment. But um, obviously, more than just the ability for women to vote, uh, women in Tennessee who were instrumental in making the vote happen for Tennessee women and women around the entire United States of America, they're involved in many types of social and political activism across the state in every one of our 95 counties. And um, there are many historians who research this material. It's Tennessee women of the progressive era. And um, we published a book on this in 2013. We're publishing a second volume on it that will be out in 2022 through the University of Tennessee Press and quite a number of exceedingly esteemed historians across the state and across the nation are involved in contributing to this anthology and the Tennessee Historical Society has been excited to be able to highlight it and showcase it so we've had a lecture series that takes place on Tuesday nights at five o'clock through, again, the Tennessee Historical Society. Anybody can look it up. The last one for the fall, for this fall, is tomorrow, um, Tuesday, November 16th. And Dr. Mary Ellen Pethel, who's a professor of history at Belmont University, will be speaking. And Dr. Crystal DeGregory, who is um, a fellow in history at the Center for Historic Preservation at MTSU, will be speaking. And then um, we'll break for the Thanksgiving break. And then coming back uh, in January, on January 18th, again, it will be Tuesday nights at 5 o'clock, and all the uh, next number of Tuesday nights, we'll be doing a wonderful lecture series in which just powerful and important um, historians across the state will be speaking. And uh, can you come tomorrow if you haven't been, for instance? Is this uh, something that, or, or do you need to have been at all of them? No, to- not at all. <laughs> you, you simply go to the program section of the Tennessee Historical Society website. Mm. You do have to register. That just gives you the ability to log in. It's no big deal. They just, you know, I guess they do track a little information. There's hardly anybody on the internet that doesn't. Yeah. But they, um, it gives you gives them your name so that when you can be a you can ask questions and be a part of the um, audience and participating body uh, in that event but absolutely um, people from all across the United States uh, who are members of Tennessee Historical Society and although you do not have to be a member by the way um, are enjoying this particular discussion I think it's because so much of what Tennessee Historical Society does or has done in the past has focused heavily on the Civil War over the past number of years and certainly World War One. Um, in recent years got a, a great amount of attention. So we're thrilled that um, they're having two semesters focused on women's history. So please come join us tomorrow at 5. Just go to the Tennessee Historical Society website, look, click under Programs, and you'll see where you can log in. And these are in-person events? These are online. So okay. you can do it from the from the from your own desk in your own home. Um, obviously, COVID has taught us many things.
things, but how to be able to engage with these series online. So you do not have to go anywhere. You can stay home toasty in front of your fire and still join us. Well, that's awesome. So uh, the Tennessee Historical Society's website is the best place to to get to that and get signed up. That's right. That's the platform for it. And um, are, are you part of the organization of this or is it uh, just our, our universities across the state kind of coming together to help put this together? Well, um, I and my colleague, Dr. Manoa Uffelman, who's from Austin P. State University, are the co-editors of the upcoming volume on Tennessee Women Progressive called Constructing Citizenship. And um, Dr. Uffelman and I are both the co-editors of the volume and we are sort of the co-hosts of this series. So each of us um, hosts on a specific night and I'll be um, hosting the um, lectures tomorrow evening by Dr. DeGregory and Dr. Pethel. Oh, awesome. Uh, any final thoughts here before our time gets up? Uh, well, gets I just, away? yes, I'd love to go back, if I may flip back, just to be sure that everybody in Murfreesboro and Rutherford County knows that MTSU students uh, were spectacular voters in the 2020 election. We only know specifically about this because we just, uh, about 10 days ago, received um, the study in which we are enrolled called the National Study of Learning, Voting, and Engagement, which is able to do a deep dive into um, the numbers across all the Secretary of State's offices in the United States and also the Tennessee Secretary of State's office. And they are able to tell us that MTSU students 65% of our student body voted, which may not sound like enough. We'd like to have 100% voter participation, but please be aware that we increased by almost 21 percentage points from 2016 into 2020, both in 2016 and in 2012, 44% of MTSU students voted. But in the 2020 election, it was 65% of our students. And that is amazing and wonderful. And it took effort on the part of every division across this campus, from student affairs to academic affairs to professors in their classrooms, to get our students registered to vote where they can vote and assist them in getting to the polls. The bulk of our students voted in early voting. The bulk voted, the bulk of them voted in person and we advocate for everyone to please get registered and to please vote we have an election coming up next year and let's keep those numbers up and i guess you'll be very busy um with those incoming freshmen uh, from this year and getting those registered to vote i mean it, it's it's a cycle that doesn't end that's it? right it is an absolutely unending cycle and uh, people move around they switch addresses uh, and, and it's important for our students to realize that the way tennessee law is in terms of voting you must be registered in the county in which you intend to vote. And it's not just a registration statewide. And, and that's a big learning curve. So if our students come, say, from DeKalb County, but they actually are residing and have an apartment in Rutherford County, they may absolutely register and re-register online in Rutherford County and vote right here where you can get to the polls in person. And we encourage people to do that because we know, the, again, many studies have been done by political scientists on this, that human beings vote vote where they can get to the polls. And that's what we encourage. Get to the polls. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's Dr. Mary Evans, a research professor of history and coordinator of the American Democracy Project at MTSU. And that's going to do it for our program today. I want to thank all of our guests for being here. If you missed any part of the program, check the podcast section at WGNSRadio.com. Look for Action Line or wherever you listen to audio. 